Access to Justice. I am your host, Evan Clark from Gain Law. And my co-host, Heather Malarick of Merrick Law is here with us as well. Hello, Heather, how are you? Uh, I'm doing well, Evan, thanks. How are you doing? I'm also doing well, thank you very much. We just had a big dump of snow. People have been going uh -huh. crazy on the roads. But it was our first dump of snow, and we're we're recording this November eighteenth, so that doesn't normally happen. No, it was like a winter flipped on switch. It was just fall and nice and nothing at all, and then all of a sudden it was just winter. It really was like that. It was it really was like an on switch. It was like one day no snow, kind of dry and nice, and then the next day two feet yeah. of snow. Winter wonderland. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're joined today by our very special guest, Kim McDonald of McDonald Advisory. If you didn't know, Kim is a financial advisor and an insurance advisor with Raymond James Limited. Kim, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate the uh, recurring invitation to appear on your podcast. Yes, it's always a pleasure. <laughs> you keep it real and that's what we need. <laughs> we, are a, we are a Canadian podcast with a mission to educate Canadians about the law. Sorry about that. We interview experts in law, mental health, and finance, focusing on the topics that create the greatest barriers to entry into the justice system. You can find us on YouTube on our A2J podcast channel and online at a2jpodcast.com. Um, we're very pleased about today's guest. Um, this guest is uh, a very accomplished professional who um, is a family woman and has acquired a great deal of expertise and experience working in family law. Um, please welcome Heather Mallark. There's a lot of better things I could have said. I feel like that was actually a pretty lame, like, uh, anticlimactic uh, intro, but, you know, <laughs> the intention was there. Yes, yes, it was. Heather, what are we Thank talking you. about today? Uh, we are going to talk about parenting, because it's a really big topic that we've sort of skirted around, I think, in a few episodes. We've had a divorce coach who talked about some of that stuff, and we've talked about kids being represented. We've talked to our um, mental health uh, person, Brandy, who talked about kids and divorce, but I don't think we've talked straight on about the topic of parenting. So um, I guess maybe we'll start right there and and I'll talk a little bit about what parenting means in the context of separation and divorce. So um, I think lots of folks probably have the paradigm that they see on TV or in movies, which is custody, right? Fighting over custody of the kids. And that's something that we used to use is legal terminology in the old Divorce Act, but it's just been updated, the Divorce Act, and it's now in line with what's some terminology that's been kicking around in the Family Law Act too for a while, um, which is parenting time and decision making. So those two things together are kind of what are generally understood to be custody, but that's what we're talking about today is parenting time and decision making, but kind of under calling it under the umbrella of parenting. Uh, Heather, so that's not a confusing enough start for you. <laughs> one, I mean, there's a lot of stuff there, uh, like in the law and stuff we have to deal with as lawyers and that families have to deal with going through this. So yeah. it may have sounded a little confusing to the uninitiated, but, uh, you know, it's because there's a lot of stuff there. And one thing I wanted to tease apart right away is you mentioned the Divorce Act and the Family Law Act. Can you just talk a little bit about like, why are there two laws and what is that all about? Right. Yeah, that's a great question. So the Divorce Act applies to only to families or only to couples who have children that are, sorry, only to couples who are married. Um, so if they have a dispute about their children when they're getting separated or divorced, they can use the Divorce Act and file their court action using that piece of legislation. Um, but only married folks can use the Divorce Act to file um, their 
actions under the Divorce Act. If you're not married and you want um, to file something in the court, then you can use the Family Law Act. So that's a provincial statute. The Family uh, the Divorce Act is a federal one because um, they govern, govern divorce. Um, unmarried folks use the Family Law Act and um, can resolve their uh, parenting differences at the provincial um, using the provincial legislation, using the Family Law Act. Now, to confuse things even further, if you're married, you can also choose to use the Family Law Act. Um, but those are fine distinctions that you might want to talk to your lawyer about or your specific circumstances to decide whether it would make any sense to proceed that way or why you might want to. But so, yeah, that's a little bit of a muddling, a little bit of a muddling right off the bat. So <laughs> the good news is, is the substance and the spirit of parenting time is pretty similar under both acts. So that's the good news. And some of that fine stuff you, I think most of our listeners don't need to concern themselves too much about the legal fine points. Um, and they could talk to a lawyer and get some information uh, about that if they have any questions or concerns. But I think the broad strokes are really what's important for people to know about. Yeah, that was great. And so you're talking about parenting time and, and you mentioned custody and how now they updated the Divorce Act so that it, for us in Alberta anyways, it matches our Family Law Act, our provincial law. And now they say parenting time, whereas before it was a little different. Can you like everyone custody is burned into people's minds uh -huh. and um, that's and I'm always worried that people don't really might be a little bit confused about what custody even meant back in the day. And I think that's why we changed the, we in Canada changed it in the divorce act. like custody is gone now. So can you talk a little bit about what custody was and what we talk about now? Yeah. I mean, I think that's a really good point, Evan, because I think it was a little bit confusing. Sometimes you, you would custody was sort of a blanket term that would talk about the time and the decision-making rights. Um, so, um, it, so maybe it's easier to contrast it with what parenting time and decision-making is and then understand that custody sort of referred to all of that together um, and would be parsed out. So parenting time is kind of what it sounds like. It's the schedule that parents and children follow for when they're spending time with their kids. Um, and that can be, uh, you know, an exchange every second day. It can be a week on, week off. It might be weekdays with one parent, weekends with the other. Maybe it's school year with one parent and the summer with the other parent. It can be as, you know, flexible and different as there are families out there. Um, so that's what we're talking about when we talk about parenting time, the actual schedule that you would, you know, write down on the calendar for everyone to follow. Um, Decision-making is all the the other stuff that that would sound like to you, all the major things that have to be decided for kiddos, um, big picture, and right down to the fine points of things. So what are they eating for breakfast to what school are they going to go to? Which church will they attend? Who are they hanging out with? Are they allowed to get a job when they're 14 when they're 16 um can they date are they getting orthodontics you you name it you know all of those parenting decisions need to be made and um and um sometimes we set out a decision making process for them sometimes we divide up those powers sometimes we um, share them uh just really depends so those are the two broad categories um under the old divorce act, we just sort of talked about custody and then talked about primary care or parenting time. We would talk about having custody and that was more of the sort of decision-making thing, but it got really blurry a lot of the time and was pretty confusing. So I think the attempt now is to really um, parse out those two things and make them distinct so that we're talking about things really clearly in our orders, in our agreements, and when we're talking to families and to parents. Yeah, I, I feel like when I think of the word custody, and it always is, it seems to be accompanied by full custody is when people are talking about it, right? Like, right. I want full custody. 
Yeah. Nobody came to you and vehemently and saying, I want shared custody. It was always like, I want full custody because the other person's just the worst. Yeah. Um, and I feel like that word is so charged with um, conflict and a, an idea that one person could have all of it and the other person is possible for one person to have all of it and the other person to have none. Right. And I think the courts, make, maybe it was more common historically that that happened, but I, I think long before we changed the wording, um, isn't it true that we kind of, the courts moved away from, from that and moved more to like a, a joint decision-making, well, joint custody. I, I don't want to muddy the water by keeping using custody, but <laughs> yeah. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that, about like, what, what's the, what's the norm here? Like what, why do you, yeah. What's the norm uh -huh. here now these uh -huh. days, Heather? Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Well, I mean, I guess the, the fundamental thing to know, and if you take away one thing from this hour we're going to spend together today, um, I think that it's important to know that any decision that's made about children um, is always and only made in the best interests of children. So both legislations, the Family Law Act and the Divorce Act, set out a long list of factors that need to be taken into account um, when judges are making uh, decisions for families. But of course, if you know you and I, Evan, are giving legal advice to a client, we're going to be looking at that and giving advice on that. So I think it's really important to know that that's the base rule, is best interests of, of the children. So that's really going to depend on the circumstances on, you know, what kind of what's happening with the parents that are involved. What are the needs of the children? Because um, kids are all different and um, can handle or not handle different things. Some need more stability. Some are OK with a more flexible arrangement. There's, you know, just so many variables. But um to your question, I would say that the general tr trend has been away from um, one parent having full custody or primary parenting time or whatever you want to call it, most of the parenting time and all of the decision or most of the decision making to shared um, arrangements. Um, and in fact, the both legislations say that um, that each spouse or parent should have as much time with the um, with each parent as is consistent with the best interests of the child. Um, so sorry, the, the child should have as much time with each parent. Yeah. Okay. as is consistent with the best interests of that child. So, um, so yeah, there's not only has there been a trend, but I think that the new divorce act, like really recognize that really recognize that and spells that out. To get a little bit granular. I, mm -hmm. uh, I'm curious what it's actually called. Like I'm looking at a text message from a client right now. I, I got this week and she said, I just got full physical custody of my kids. So that's her vernacular today. Uh -huh. And when you're talking, we still kind of keep wanting to say custody and she's saying custody. I'm thinking, what, it, what are the courts actually calling it? Are they calling it full arrange, like full parenting arrangement? Like what are they actually, did they take the words out? I mean, I'm finding that the courts are being pretty sticky on insisting on this terminology. So um, I think that there's a real effort to stick with um, the terms parenting and decision making so that there is consistency for families. Um, I don't I don't know what you think about that, Evan, but that's been my impression that they're 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 trying to emphasize that. Oh yeah, the court's all over. Like, there's no way that she just got a court order that said she's got full custody. <laughs> and but it's funny because she said, "What's it called?" She said full physical custody, which makes me think probably what happened is she's the, now the primary parent, and like the the absolute norm in my experience and is decision making authority. Unless there's a good reason not to, it's going to be joint. Um, and what that means is there's kind of, there's kind of two levels. I may be oversimplifying it here, but that's the idea. There may be, there's basically two levels of decision-making authority. There's the big picture stuff like Heather was talking about the, uh, you know, the sociolinguistic religious upbringing, big medical decisions, uh, where the child lives, um, you know, those types of things. Those are like the big picture decisions. 
And then there's the day-to-day -day decisions, like what clothes are they going to wear if they need help with that, you know, and, and how they're getting to school and things like that. So the day-to-day -day decisions are normally the responsibility of the parent who is exercising parenting time. But those big decisions, I think most of the time the court, unless there's like a really good reason, the default is it's in the best interest of the child that both parents participate in that decision-making. Have you found that as well, Heather? Yeah, absolutely. Even if there's a uh, <laughs> physical custody situation <laughs> or what we would probably prefer to say is a primary parenting situation um, where one parent has most of the parenting time, um, unless there's a good reason to disrupt it, you, you're probably going to see a joint decision-making scheme still, um, not a sole decision-making scheme. Um, just because... It, if a parent, even if a parent isn't exercising as much time, the idea is they're still equal guardians and still equal decision makers and entitled to make those decisions about their children, especially on those important things. Like you said, Evan, like education, medical, religious, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I wouldn't be surprised if we looked at her order and it said joint decision-making authority and she's a primary parent, but like Heather said, and I was saying, unless there's a reason, there could be a good reason. Um, and maybe she is the sole decision maker. We have just no way for us to tell, obviously, without seeing the order. But mm -hmm. um, it happens sometimes. And I've seen it most often where there's a situation of family violence or, um, you know, substance abuse, addiction issues. In those types of situations, I've seen court orders where only one person has that decision-making authority. Um, is that consistent with, with what you've seen too, Heather? In this case, we have a, a logistics scenario where one parent lives in a different city. Mm. That probably wouldn't be enough for decision-making authority to change because, we're, again, we're talking about those big picture things. You don't have to be there to help to be involved in that decision-making process. Yeah. Yeah, to have input about whether a kiddo goes to French immersion school or, you know, decisions like that. Glad well, you called that out, though. Like, like we, the only way we make these changes is if we correct people when they're saying custody. And, and I honestly didn't know until, you know, two minutes ago that I should tell, that I should say it's primary parenting. So I think people appreciate knowing the right way to describe their situation. So thank you guys for clarifying that. Yeah. Well, you know, Kim, sometimes the phrase, it, like, it doesn't really matter what you use. Like, for example, people say alimony, but in Canada, we don't, there's no such thing. It's called spousal support, but it doesn't matter. Like calling it alimony or spousal support makes no difference. It's the, still the same thing. But what, in this particular case, it matters because the terms we use now are just make it more clear. So it's easier to understand what's going on, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I guess one other thing I was going to say, sometimes I've seen courts carve out certain types of decisions for some reason or another. If there's been really high conflict just about one topic for some reason or another, sometimes the courts will try and nip that in the bud then and say, okay, well, forget it. Like medical decisions, we don't want the court to be making those. Um, if mom and can't, dad can't decide, it's better that at least one of the parents is making a decision than they're ending up in court every time that um, something like that needs to be decided. So, I mean, obviously a hot topic right now that we're, we're seeing are things like vaccinations, um, but um, that's been an issue that I've seen on files in the past before COVID, um, uh, you know, medical treatments, things like that is sometimes something that gets carved out as a topic. So you might still have generally joint decision making, but maybe something is cut out of that, of those powers. But again, that's, that's really rare. I've seen that only on maybe two files in, in my, um, in my career. So less I, I, common for that to happen. I had two things I wanted to, to mention. So one thing, I want to make a public service announcement related to, to COVID vaccination. But first, before we do that, I wanted to ask you a question. <laughs> okay. So, so one thing I think often uh, parents may struggle with is 
sharing that decision-making authority or our understanding that they're meant to. Mm. Um, I'm assuming you've had success helping parents do this. So I'm going to ask like, how have you helped people to have success sharing that decision-making authority for those big picture decisions? Hmm, that is a good question. I, I mean, I think ultimately most people who are having difficulty making a decision are going to fall within, uh, and I'm holding up my hands this, this far apart, <laughs> 14 inches apart, are going to fall within this middle range, right? So the vast majority of people are going to maybe not agree on everything. Um, but when you sit down and talk to them and say, okay, well, you know, you've got a dilemma here because you can't agree on these things. So how are you going to, how are you going to resolve this issue? You can go, you can work it out, you can compromise, you can get some more um, information from experts from, you know, let's bring the doctor in, or let's get a neutral doctor, or let's read some articles together. Um, you can go to a mediator and maybe see if they can help you make this decision. But ultimately, if you can't agree, you're going to give um, you know, 10 pages of paper and 10 minutes to a judge, and they're going to make a decision about your child um, that one of you is probably not going to like, and maybe both of you aren't going to. So sort of when faced with that, people often, you know, readjust their priorities or figure out like, what can they really um, compromise on and when, where those things are that really that they can't, they can't live with and maybe they do need someone else to make a, a decision about um so i don't know that that communication i mean it's just sort of a process of building trust too right often you know you're starting with very little trust if um if you've just separated so parenting apart is a big change for folks so you know i encourage to try people to try and work on the little things and cooperate on the little things and try and and get there but um i'm trying to think of what else what about you evan do you <laughs> that do was you question was just for me that, that question yeah. was just for me heather i wanted to get oh. all your secrets oh okay, okay. It, it's, i think it's <laughs> i think it's so tough for them uh, because, or so common for it to be tough for people who are going through a divorce because of everything you just identified, like the lack of trust. And it takes effort to make a decision about your child with somebody else. And you know, like, if you don't get along with that other person as well, and you guys are prone to conflict, that can make it really tough. I was just thinking as you're talking, like, this sounds like a great situation for a parenting coordinator to help out. Uh... So we've had a couple parenting coordinators on here and I think before they end up going to court, which happens way too often, man, get a parenting coordinator. And because maybe they can help. And even if they don't have um, the arbitral powers that we've talked about in here before, I encourage you to go back and look at our episode on parenting coordinators. Even if they don't have that authority to make a binding decision, it, they're trained to help people work through conflict and specifically about parenting. Yeah. So I don't have any anecdotal evidence of where that's been the answer, but mm -hmm. I feel like there's be a good chance that that would help. Is there okay. an assessment out there? Like, you know, whether it's at the beginning of a separation or, or they're 10 years into their divorce, is there such a thing as an assessment if somebody you know, doesn't like the other person's parenting style or things have changed in mm -hmm. some capacity? Does that exist? Yes, it, it does. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's the practice notes, right? And the interventions and the assessments in there. So a PN8 would be, we used to call it a custody assessment. <laughs> I actually I'm sure it's been updated. The terminology has been updated. Um, but yeah, you, the, the family would meet with a professional and a professional would give a um, their thoughts and opinions about each parent person's parenting style and um, talk about what they think would be a good custody arrangement. So that's a full formal assessment. Um, it's very expensive. It's a 
very intrusive um, and most families don't end up there um, and I don't think they want to end up there um, but it is possible if there's just that much um, that wide of a gulf between the two parents where each of them believe that they should be the primary parent and that the other parent parents time should be um, severely limited yeah, I was gonna say the that you know the name of the name of the podcast is access to justice, and part of one of the big barriers, of course, is money, right? People don't just happen to have tons of money lying around; they want to give to lawyers instead of their family and their children. So, anything you can do, you can do to avoid going into the litigation process, like going to court and arguing and and asking for that, because chances of, of getting like a, a consent order for that. I, 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 it's possible, but like probably you're going to have to go and argue about it and then have a court order. It just sounds expensive. Whereas there's a lot of other things you can try first. And sometimes like, like anything with court, it has its place. Sometimes that is exactly what's needed. And it's the only thing that can help. And in that case, yes, absolutely. That's a tool that you should use, but one of our big goals here is to try and provide as many tools for the toolbox as possible, which is why we have people like parenting coordinators and, and others come on. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. parenting coordinators, I mean, I can't, I think they've talked about the rates when we had them on here. And I think they were somewhere in the neighborhood of a couple hundred dollars an hour or so. So a couple hours with a parenting coordinator is going to be cheaper than going to court and getting that practice note eight custody quote unquote assessment. Yeah. I mean, psychologists tend to run around $200 an hour sometimes. Um, you know, I think some of the um, more in demand and specialized psychologists in family matters are going to be charging more than that and more in the neighborhood of, say, uh, one lawyer's hourly rate. But um, you're thinking... You if your lawyers are fighting about that, you're each paying your lawyer their hourly rate. Um, if you're using a parenting coordinator, then you're paying one hourly rate and sharing it. So <laughs> that's a lot better value there. And the whole, I guess if there's one message to take away is if you're somewhere in that, and I'm holding my hands up again, in that 80 to 90% of families, um, I think it serves everyone in the family really well to put a little bit of time and money into working on communication, putting together a plan for problem solving when there isn't agreement on issues. Um, I mean, even intact families, don't always see eye to eye on parenting issues, right? So, um, but you come up with ways to resolve those differences, to talk them out, to communicate about them. Um, so it really makes sense to do that when you're parenting apart because there is that distance. Maybe there's less communication, less knowledge about what's going on in the other person's home, less trust, all of those things. So that's something that um, a parenting coordinator can really assist with. Um, lawyer can too, but maybe just not quite as efficiently or skillfully sometimes as, as those kind of folks can. Okay. Now my public service announcement. Yes. Right. It just struck me that I think this is probably useful because uh, talking about the COVID-19 vaccine and whether or not, um, you know, children should get vaccinated. And this isn't about like whether or not that should happen or like, like that's not the point. It's about the legal status of that and what the law supports um, because it keeps on coming to court across the country. And so I'm hoping, you know, this little blurb might help people kind of uh, take a look at that. So um, there is a, a court case in Ontario that also referenced court, other court cases across the country, um, including British Columbia and a, a few others in Ontario. Um, and this is what it says. The responsible government authorities have all concluded that COVID-19 vaccination is safe and effective for children ages 12 to 17 to prevent severe illness from COVID-19 and have encouraged eligible children to get vaccinated. These government and health, uh, public health authorities are in a better position than the courts to consider the health benefits and risks to children of receiving COVID-19 
vaccination. Absent compelling evidence to the contrary, it is in the best interest of an eligible child to be vaccinated. And courts, that's my end quote for a second, courts have also dealt with plenty of um, expert evidence that um, support a position of not being vaccinated and they've rejected it out of hand pretty much. So they're, they're gonna default to what the government says because the courts are not gonna, they don't wanna make that decision. That's not their area of expertise. Right. Um, um, the issue is not, as argued by the mother, the respondent mother, whether obtaining the vaccination is crucial to in-person attendance. This had to do with uh, going to school. Mm. That is not the legal test. The question is whether it is in the best interest of the child. Given the government statements above, there can be no dispute that, as a general presumption, it is in the best interest of eligible children to get vaccinated before they attend school in person. Mm. So if you're thinking about fighting about getting the kids vaccinated and going to court and getting the court to make a decision about it, just so you know, the courts have very, very, very consistently across the country, I'm not aware of an, uh, an appeal case or, or a, there's no Supreme Court case about this, but across the country, the different provinces, courts have, have pretty much been really consistent that it's in the best interest of the child to get a vaccine, to get the COVID-19 vaccine, unless there's a, a good reason for that particular child why that would be inappropriate. Right, right. Thanks for setting that out, Evan. I think that's yeah important information that can maybe save some time and some litigation. Yeah, and again, it's like mm. I think even the court here is saying like we're not we're not even getting into like what you feel about vaccines or like whether or not that's okay. We're just this is what the government has said, so this right. is what the law is going to follow. We're not going to you know reinvent the wheel, right? question that mm -hmm. yeah yeah okay sorry that was kind of a sidetrack but it's relevant to parenting which is kind of what we want to talk about today <laughs> it is yeah absolutely so that's that's a i mean that's a really great example of um something that ends up in court um and a decision that that has to get made um on behalf of children by parents um yeah sorry i just want to cite the case since i just oh, yeah. from it so i'll just say what case that was. It is AC and LL from Ontario. That's from Ontario. Yeah, 2021. And there's no site, the citation is for like uh, Carswell. So that's not helpful to anybody that doesn't have a, mm. a, a subscription to that service, but it's uh, AC and LL 2021 in Ontario. Okay. Enough of that. We can post the link in the in the show notes when we yeah. get it up on the website. So go, that, that'll be there to link to if uh, if you want to read it. Um, so, I mean, I guess uh, that like, brings me to another point that I wanted to mention is uh, about reading it. Um, I know I know that reading legislation can be pretty daunting um, and it can be um, maybe a little overwhelming. Um, but I think another thing that we'll link to is the best interest section of the Divorce Act on the webpage. And I'd encourage any parent to go and have a look and read through even just that section. Because what it does is it's Ada where are we at K here? So there's a lot of factors, um, but reading through it will give you a sense of what the court is required to consider when they're going to make any decision on behalf of um, or about a child. So, I mean, there's everything from whether there was family violence, um, the their perceived willingness of uh, each parent to support the relationship between the child and the other parent. Um, their the upbringing of the child to that point, the uh, history of care for the child, the future plans for the care of the child. Um, they also include the child's views and preferences. So we've also touched on that in previous episodes before, um, but with the caveat that it says right in the legislation, giving due weight to the child's age and maturity. Um, 
so, um, you know, I say they have a voice, but not a choice. And, um, I think one of the, maybe this is another myth to bust on today's episode. (laughs) Sometimes folks have a preconceived notion that like at age 12, 14, 16, whatever it is that kids get to just choose where they go and that's how it works. Um, and it's not, um, they're, they're, views and their choices are going to be one of many factors that a court is going to look at in making decisions about parenting for families. Um, So yeah, I mean, I would just encourage anybody to go and have a look at those factors. Um, But essentially the, the summary of it is, is that a court's going to look at the physical, emotional, and psychological well-being of a child. That's, that's what they're looking at. Um, when they're making decisions about parenting. Yeah, I want, like at the very beginning of that section, Heather, it says, the court shall consider all factors related to the circumstances of the child, including, which for like, this is kind of where learning about this at law school is helpful and we can yeah. report that to you right now. When you have something yeah. like that, where it says including, that means this list is, does not have everything. Yeah. There's the judge, the court can consider any factors that it thinks is relevant, but it also includes the things in the list. So it's not an exclusive list. It's an inclusive list. Yeah. Um, and you said it, it can be daunting, but you know what? I think it can also be empowering to people, Heather, mm-hmm. when they read that, because sometimes people are maybe afraid to kind of look it up, but yeah. um, a lot of these laws, especially the newer, the laws, the better they, you don't need to go to law school to understand what they say. Like it can really help you. You might have specific questions. There might be some terms that a lawyer can help you with that we've learned about specifically, but they can really give people a good idea. If they read the law, they can, that can empower them for their decision-making. And the last thing I wanted to say was one of the challenges you talked about the wishes of the child. One of the challenges can be if you start, putting too much emphasis on what the child wants is it starts to transition the decision-making about parenting from the parents to the children, which Mm. then puts the children right in the middle of the dispute, which the courts love that, right? Yeah. So do the psychologists. We're being sarcastic. We're being sarcastic. (laughs) You can't see the filter. (laughs) That was too deadpan, Heather. We had to, yeah, absolutely not. The courts hate it. Um, Yeah. yeah. That's a really important thing because I've heard from clients before where they don't, the kids don't enjoy going over to the other parent's house Mm -hmm. and the one parent is you know comes to their level and says oh you poor thing i wish it didn't have to be this way like kind of almost yeah like you're saying it's it's transferring power to the kid and and that's a lot of pressure for a little kid to start to take on so i think a lot of parents really need to listen to what you just said well you know what kim like it's it's not it's just not easy there's no like easy answer here it's not black and white um it's complex and like I have a file right now. I just had a settlement meeting the, uh, the other day where my client, you know, is legitimately concerned about her children going to dad's house, not in general, but there's sometimes where, where her children are like, no, I don't want to go. And I don't want to tell dad this. And so it's, we're stuck in this situation where what does she do? Because dad wants more parenting time. She's in favor of dad having more parenting time. The children are at least one of the girls has like, uh, has some reservations. And so what we're looking at in that case is getting counseling involved Mm -hmm. because there's some underlying issues there between the children and their father and maybe their mother as well. And so the hope is that maybe a counselor, uh, meeting with all of them separately or whatever can kind of help all of them figure that out because it's a challenge, Kim, if your kid's saying to you, I don't want to go. Sometimes that right answer is, you know, the same answer that you give when they say, I don't want to eat my broccoli. Yeah. Sometimes the answer is just, that's great. Too bad. I don't actually care what you think you want. You're going. Mm -hmm. Um, But other times it can be a little more complicated. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, you see that the example, I think time and time again, probably from lawyers and I've seen it in court cases too. Like, what would you tell your kid if they said they didn't want to go to school? Right. Um, you would say, no, it's important that you go to school and this is the decision and, um, you encourage them to do that. But then, you know, Evan, I think is absolutely right when he says there's also nuance. So, and there's, there are other concerns, right? If there's a legitimate fear and there's not safety going on in the other home or, um, those kinds of things that those, those need to be explored and investigated and need to figure out if there's ways that, that parenting time can continue ensuring the safety of the child, um, and still maintaining that relationship. Cause that's still, um, one of the, one of the factors that's, um, involved, right. The, as much time as possible with the parent, so long as it's consistent with the best interests. So what kind of boundaries or barriers or supports do you need to put in place so that the child is safe and feels safe with the other parent. Um, and that's difficult when you're the parent that is maybe on the outside a little bit, right? Um, sometimes in law, we talk about the preferred parent or the non-preferred parent. Sometimes that happens just a little bit, uh, the nature of separation or um, just personalities or whatever the case is. Um, but it can be difficult to feel on the outside there and but knowing that <laughs> how much do I push this how much do I force it how and how much do I say it's okay I'm gonna let it go this weekend right. but next weekend we'll try again or we'll have a phone call later this week or 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 whatever it is so if if those things are starting to happen again I I, I totally I feel like I'm a broken record but like that's maybe a time where we're, you're wanting to get someone else involved that has expertise in um in mental health a psychologist or social worker or something like that mm. yeah it's a little beyond the legal realm for sure uh the law can only take you so far like what's actually in the best interest of the child sometimes needs uh you, you need you need help and and i hope one takeaway parents might get from this is that it's okay to get help like you don't have to do it all on your own and between yourselves and, and lawyers aren't always the best help. Like sometimes lawyers just make it worse and not because we want to, but because we only have certain tools that we can use. And that includes going to court and um, some lawyers that seems to be all they want to do is go to court, unfortunately. And so a lawyer like that gets involved and that's going to make a huge mess. So there's options out there, get some help. If it's, if, if parenting is really proving to be a challenge and guess what? Like you're not alone parenting post divorce and post separation. I think most of the time is a challenge. And also, I mean, if we have a minor listening to this podcast too, and, and, and one parent, the, neither parents listening that it's a problem in one household, then we know that he gets self-representation as well. They, they have a voice if they need uh -huh. it. If it's, if it's a dangerous situation and no one's, listening yeah yeah absolutely yeah so um i don't know heather i thought you were just gonna provide like oh here's um how you fix parenting <laughs> well it's yeah. just about best interest that's it it's as yeah. simple as that so just you know decide what's in in the best interests and uh, make your decisions accordingly and that's that right yeah. it's nice and simple uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it really is, this is really difficult because these little people are the most important people <laughs> to parents, um, and their relationship with them is so important. And, um, you know, you're going through a time where everything in your life probably feels like it's an upheaval. You're worried about finances. You're worried about your kids. You're worried about yourself. Um, and um, it can be hard. It can be just really hard to manage all of those things too. So, you know, maybe you're not operating at your best either. So, um, you know, again, that's where, you know, don't be afraid to reach out for support or for help. Um, I guess one other piece <laughs> that comes along with is to 
reach out, but with caution and reach out to people who are trained in this area and are really skilled in providing support to folks who are going through divorce and separation. Um, You know, everybody maybe wants to lean across the fence and have a cup of coffee or a glass of wine with their neighbor who's also gone through a horrific divorce. Um, And that's fine. You might want to just sort of like vent or get it out or whatever. But if you're really looking for advice on getting through this in a really good way, um, I would, I, I recommend getting that advice and getting, um, that help from someone who's a professional in this area. And there are lots of them, um, lots of them out there. And sometimes it's, uh, it's an ounce of prevention that can prevent the need for a pound of cure. What I mean by that is, yes, we are always looking for what is the most cost-effective and efficient way. And sometimes that is an an initial consultation with a lawyer that might cost you a few hundred dollars or an initial consultation with a psychologist or a parenting um, coordinator that might cost a few hundred dollars. But like, yes, spending money up front sometimes is exactly what you need to do to kind of get ahead of things before they spiral out of control where now you're faced with having to go to court because it's the situation has has become as we say untenable or like unbearable Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but it's about being wise as to where you spend that money and i think spending the money up front to get help when you when you recognize there's some issues that may develop to be very serious um that's probably money better spent than waiting, 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 trying to do it on your own and not making progress until you're in trouble. Yeah. What's involved in the parenting uh, course that people take uh, Mm. uh, just before they divorce? What are some of the skills that they might learn there? And is that, is it valuable? Yeah, it's called the parenting after separation course. And it's a requirement if there's children under 16 and, um, and the, the parents are getting divorced. Um, I actually am not familiar with the course. Heather, do you know much about it? I mean, I know about it, but I don't know what, like exactly what they talk about. Yeah, it's funny. It's on my list of things to just register and do one of these days because I know I send folks off to it because they're required to do it, but I, I'm not that familiar with it. Um, I think they give basic information about, um, you know, these kinds of concepts about uh, parenting and that kind of thing. I think they emphasize trying to keep children out of the middle of it um, and, and those kinds of things, but but they, definitely do that have- sooner rather than later <laughs> and they have an advanced one too don't they something and i i seem to know that they or i seem to remember hearing from a client that they um you know they provide guidelines for communication like this is helpful like here's some guidelines on how to communicate when you got when you're having trouble with with somebody um well, people don't seem to pay attention to that part i don't think most of the time, but when they're emotional yeah. when they're taking it, like maybe it's, maybe it's something like you have a redo like a couple of years later to just, you know, remind yourself. Yeah. Well, and sometimes yeah. Kim, we're sending them to take it because it's a requirement like, Oh, you have to go do this. So please get this done and send me the certificate. Yeah. And, and I don't really like, I'm not invested in whether or not they do it and or in whether or not they get something out of it so much as I need that certificate so I can send stuff off to court. Right. And so sometimes maybe they're just doing it to get a check in the box, but it actually, I, from everything I've heard about it, should be like a pretty helpful resource. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't think there's any rule about registering it and taking it more than once, so that's for sure. Um, there's also, uh, I can't say enough about uh, good things about this person, but Bill Eddy is a psychologist, uh, lawyer, and mediator who practices out of California. And he has done extensive writing um, in the area of separation and divorce, um, a lot about high conflict um, matters, but he has tons of books. He's got lots of resources. He's got a great website um, that has just sort of one page advice on a lot of different topics from how to send an email, how to respond to an email, um, 
lots of communication stuff, lots of ways to prepare for mediation. Just uh, he is just a really, really um, perceptive guy. A very he has lots of just very practical, helpful tools for people, um, and it's low or no cost for a lot of his resources too. So that's Bill Eddy E D D Y, um, and um, I can't. Sort of can't recommend his stuff enough. <laughs> yeah, I see Kim writing that down, so it'll be we'll have a link in the notes, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, you've told me about him before too, Heather. I thought you were supposed to send me an email with some of this stuff or something. Oh, I probably forgot. I'll send yeah, it. So I'll, I'll make a note too. I'll send it to you. So it sounds like in parenting, there's just so many variables and so many different situations that you know, you couldn't answer all of them on a podcast like we have right now, but certainly taking, taking tips from you guys on, on pursuing some of these resources or professionals like, um, the psychologists or the parenting coordinators or even divorce coaches are, are a better place to start than in the courtroom. Is that, is that about right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think if you're in that middle ground as well, where, you know, you're still on conversational terms with, <laughs> with each other, but maybe you don't know where to start or you don't even know what you need to know. Um, the government of Alberta or government of Canada also has a pretty great um, parenting plan planner. So they've got a whole list of potential topics that might go into a parenting plan. So one more terminology corner, <laughs> a parenting plan is something that can be written um, up either formally or informally. Um, it can be attached to a divorce order and sort of be part of what's filed as part of your divorce is an add-on document. Um, it can be really flexible. It can be super detailed or or more general, um, but that's a really um, good place to start too if you don't know where to start is to just look at the topics and kind of think through some of that stuff um, and then you might want to sit down with your uh, with the other parent um, or exchange lists and just say what what do you think we need to talk about even <laughs> right so that you can start to narrow down some of that stuff and maybe start having some of those conversations on your own um, and again it goes to that idea of we're gonna have a plan for solving these problems problems as they come up because I think it's it would be foolish to think that you're not going to have parenting problems they are going to come up so think about them prepare for them um, get a little bit of a list going on um, and then you might find that you know you're not really so far apart um, on a lot of the things as you would thought, or you can at least identify, okay, these are the things we're going to need help with because we really don't see eye to eye on daycare or whatever the case may be. One thing you said really struck me and that was Heather telling that and saying, suggesting that they call the other person and say, what do we need to talk about? Uh, or like what issues are, are we having? Because I, I, in my experience, I don't think, People do that very often. Um, I think maybe if they did, it might help to de-escalate things sometimes. Oh. Um, because you, I, I bet you, like, I guarantee you, if there's issues, the other person is, oh, they're ready to talk about it. And the relationship is past the point where they're worried about hurting someone's feelings. Like everyone's feelings are hurt. So they're just going to tell you. But that could be really helpful if you actually know, like, oh, well, what is it actually that's bothering them? And I mean, without getting into like, uh, you know, dispute resolution techniques and, and different styles of communication, that's a little beyond us, but just asking for feedback from the other parent and listening to it without justifying it, that can probably really help start to build some trust wow. because if you put yourself, if you reverse positions, if you're a parent that's having some challenges here and you think about how would I feel if the other parent came to me and said, honestly, eh, um, what do we need to talk about? What, what, what are the issues we're having? And then they listen as you tell them about the issues you have with them and the issues that you're having in general. I think probably if they're, if they handled that well and with humility, they probably start to build some trust between the two of you. Yeah, and I think the topic list sometimes is like a neutral way to approach those conversations. So instead of saying like, 
you brought the kids home late and that drives me crazy <laughs> that maybe then like bedtimes is the topic that you want to talk about right so you approach this the conversation that way and say our bedtime's important. What time should they be? And then you have that conversation in a positive, future-focused way rather than being like, this is the ninth time you brought the kids home and they're going to go to bed half an hour late again and they're going to be cranky for me in the morning, right? Like, that's, of course, going to set up defensiveness and then it's maybe going to, it's not going to end up, oh, there we go, Kim's holding up her resource now. <laughs> <laughs> Taking the um, war, what does it say, Kim? Taking, Taking the, war. the war out of words powerful non-defensive communication how to uh, communicate things so the other person doesn't immediately get their back up and uh, Heather and I were in this course together and there's there's a lot of important things to learn about how to communicate and and that's not osmosis like you have to practice this stuff all the time and it's, it's hard it's hard to do one of the biggest de-escalators that I've used in the past is um, when you're getting attacked and you want to be defensive, if you choose, just choose not to. Um, even if what the other person is saying is totally unfounded or they're you know, not getting the whole picture or, or it's slightly skewed to make it look worse than it is, if you just take it and let them go and say, and what else? and really try to understand what they're saying. A lot of times you can drill down, get to the bottom of things and have a useful conversation. I don't know if that's in the book or not, Kim, but um, yeah, I, just, I, I was just thinking of these things as you were talking about that, Heather, like too, it's, it's easy and totally understandable, by the way, of you know when somebody's attacking you for something that's not quite right, that you get your back up and get defensive. Oh, yeah. Um, but sometimes it's easiest to uh, resolve the conflict when the other person's doing the attacking as opposed to it can be really challenging from what you're talking about, Kim, that book is teaching you how to kind of bring it up without getting someone defensive. That can be really tough, um, but also a very useful skill to help things. But yeah. also you can you can do it if the other person's mad. You can. Yeah. Anyways, yeah. way beyond legal advice at this point, but um, <laughs> yeah, we, we are straying a little, a little far, I suppose. But um, I mean, uh, there's, I think well, yeah. there's one other thing, one other tip I wanted to share. I got this mm -hmm. tip from the Meat Eater podcast, which I, I listened to. Um, this is marriage advice that, that uh, the host Stephen Ranella has given a few times. I think he got it. He got it from somebody else in there. Actually, he got it from a, his co-host. But when, when, uh, and maybe this will work in divorce situations as well. But when, when they're having a fight, then he'll stop and say, okay, hold on a sec. How important is this issue? One to 10. Mm. And then if it's like a 10 for both of them, then obviously there's something we got to work on. But if it's like a one for one of the person, one of the people and like a seven for the other one, well, the person who it's a one level of importance can just be like, oh, okay, right. you got this one. Yeah. I think a lot of, not always, sometimes there's certainly like really high level of importance on both sides, but there's plenty of ones where it just kind of irks the other person, but they don't really care that much about it. And it's really super important to the other person. If you can identify those, that might help. Mm -hmm. Like hot, hot button issues. And people usually know what their spouse's hot buttons are, what their triggers are, yeah. right? Those kinds of things. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And this kind of communication, I, I mean, uh, Kim, we mentioned that we were in this training course together. Was that like, I can't remember how many days that was, but it doesn't come naturally, <laughs> um, especially when we're emotional, especially when we're talking about the things we love the most and are the most important to us. Our emotions flood our brains. So even if we're great communicators, a lot of the time, we're probably not going to be at our best when we're trying to communicate about these things. So doing some of this learning on your own um, is probably really great for yourself, um, for your relationship with your kids, if nothing else. And you know what, the other person, even if they're high conflict, and they're not doing anything, and they're not doing any of this themselves, 
guess what? You can use this stuff on your own. You can learn it and you can use it and you can change your side of the equation at least um, so that you're not being triggered when this stuff happens, right? Because this, at the end of the day, it's a long, it's going to be a long relationship that you continue to have with this person. So lots of the other issues that are involved in separation and divorce are a lot more discreet. When the property is divided, it's divided, it's over. You can both move on, carry on with your financial affairs. Um, spousal support can be similar, though, um, but this is an ongoing, ever-changing relationship. So, um, I, you know, I think that, you know, effort, care, self-care, <laughs> all of this kind of work is, is really worth putting in at the beginning. Um, even though it probably is going to feel like a lot and sound like a lot. <laughs> if you're, if you're right at the beginning of a separation or divorce and listening to this podcast. Mm. Yeah. I, the one thing you said reminded me of something I wanted to bring up earlier, which is it's the, it's, there's an ongoing relationship when we're talking about parenting. It's uh, especially if the kids are young, like, the, the relationship between the parents, even though they, they're no longer are married or no longer together, it's um, if, if they both want to be part of the children's lives, which normally they do, then there's a long relationship with that parent still. Hopefully for the rest of the children's lives, hopefully you're going to, we've talked about this before, hopefully you're both attending the, the wedding and uh, the high school graduation, maybe in the opposite order than that, but you get the idea. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point because there's a lot of people who have who are who are very um vocal about the pride they have about being able to work on the relationship with their ex and trying to make it a situation that's uh that that works and is comfortable and uh you know I think trying all these communication styles and learning about emotional intelligence and seeking out counselors and coaches and all that kind of stuff, it gets you to that point where you can have pride over how you handled the situation. And it's not always going to play out that way, but I can, I, I know a lot of clients who have, who have just, you know, brought that up to me, like they, they want to talk about it. So certainly something to, to try and, and see if you can get there. Mm -hmm. Uh -huh. Well, this is, I think this has been uh, good. We started talking about parenting. We got deep into some stuff. Heather, I think, I feel like you just did such a good job of presenting what the law says, both the Family Law Act and the Divorce Act in an easy to understand way. I hope our listeners agree with that assessment. And, you know, if you need help with the law side, talk to a lawyer. If you need help with other aspects of the relationship, there's other resources out there for you. Um, Heather, any last concluders? No, no, I don't. Words of wisdom escape me today. <laughs> oh, it's because you used them all already. You used plenty of words of wisdom down here. Kim, how about you? Any last thoughts or anything that you wanted to know about parenting? I, I should say before we started, Kim, Kim said, oh, I thought we were going to talk about like parenting tips. <laughs> which I guess we did kind of get into, I guess, a little bit. But <laughs> Heather and I were both like, nope. As, <laughs> as parents to, to humans, Kim's a parent to um, a dog. <laughs> but as parent to humans, we know that uh, we don't really have any advice about that. And I think, I think that translates well. People, you know, nowadays, they don't necessarily want advice. They want tools. They want guidance. They want uh, to, to grab the bits of information that apply to them in their specific situation. And I, I thought you did a really good job today, Heather, that all of that was very clear to me. And uh, I think it will be to people who are, are branching into this uh, area of their life, which can be very, very difficult. Uh -huh. Yeah. Uh -huh. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I, that, that's my concluder as well. So. Yeah. <laughs> I guess uh, this phrase just this came into my head is take take it take it easy on yourself, right? Um, just <laughs> take time. Like Evan said, you know, it might feel like a ten at the moment, but is it is it a ten level problem um, in the grand scheme of things? And you know, I sometimes I I I describe it to 
clients that you're like, you're right up to your armpits right now, halfway through the river of misery, right? And like, you just kind of got to keep going to get to the other side. And most, most folks do, right? (laughs) There is a very, very small margin at the edges that continue to be embroiled in conflict, but most families get through it. Um, and you will too. (laughs) Yeah. Might not be perfect. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Families are right. Yes, exactly. Heather. Mm -hmm. Oh, sage wisdom escapes me. And then just pulls out this nugget. Beautiful. (laughs) Well, this has been another episode of Access to Justice. Thank you for listening and or watching. And if you haven't watched, you should watch. We're very um, enjoyable to watch on the YouTubes. Um, I'm kidding. It's it's fine. What is this saying? You have uh, got a face for radio? <laughs> if you have any questions you would like us to address on the podcast, send us an email. And uh, our address is access to justice podcast at gmail.com. That's access the number two justice podcast at gmail.com. And we'll do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. Thanks, everyone. And thanks again, Heather. You were great. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be a guest today. <laughs> Any information in this video is general information only and is not, nor is it intended to be, legal advice. Watching this video does not create a lawyer-client relationship. You should always seek the advice of a lawyer or other qualified professional for advice regarding your individual situation. While we take care to ensure that the information contained in this video is accurate and up-to-date, we make no warranties or representations as to the suitability, completeness, or accuracy of the information contained in this video. Any reliance you place on the information is at your own risk. Kahane Law Office, Merrick Law, Heather Mallory Professional Corporation, Evan Clark Professional Corporation, Evan Clark, Heather Mallory, and any guests will not be responsible nor liable in any way for any content, including but not limited to any errors or omissions in the content, or for any loss or damage of any kind incurred as a result of any content communicated in this video, whether by Evan Clark, Heather Mallory, or by a third party. Kim McDonald is a financial advisor with Raymond James Limited. Information provided is not a solicitation, and although obtained from sources considered reliable, is not guaranteed. The view and opinions contained in this media are those of Kim McDonald, not Raymond James Limited. Securities-related products and services are offered through Raymond James Limited, member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. Raymond James advisors are not tax advisors, and we recommend that clients seek independent advice from a professional advisor on tax-related matters. Insurance products and services are offered through Raymond James Financial Planning Limited, RJFP, a subsidiary of Raymond James Limited, which is not a member Canadian Investor Protection Fund. When providing life insurance products, financial advisors are acting as insurance representatives of RJFP. Darkness of the Dales dissipates, declines because of heat.